Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. So, Jerry, welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. It's great to have you on board, sir. Uh, thank you very much. Great. I'm delighted to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Okay. Well, obviously, um, in, in the role of um, CTO, or obviously what we're talking about today, my, I'm the founder and, and uh, CEO, stroke CTO operationally of a company called Hornbill. Uh, we're a, a software company um, that specializes in building workflow automation uh, tools for uh, business Organize, uh, business customers, so uh, typically used in IT, HR, uh, in around service management. Brilliant, excellent. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, interesting name of a company, by the way, and uh, offline we've had some discussions around how that came about. Um, but your journey to becoming a tech leader, what was that like? Was it was it meandering or was it like kind of baptisms of fire uh, from place to place? Um, I, I think I think that's a, a really interesting question, and I'll try not to bore bore your audience with with the long version of that. But but the the essence is I've always had a technical background, and um, you know but, you know I've had a, a very strong affinity with technology. That's probably a, a good way to put it. So without any formal training, you know I have a strong electronics background. I have a strong software background. Um, I've you know strong mechanical background. You know so when I was a kid, I was able to build cars and repair cars and build houses and do, you know, all kind of technical, practical things. So uh, that I've, I've had a natural affinity. So in technology, uh, which is where I found myself um, working really for the vast majority of my career, uh, it's a kind of a natural fit for my personality and a natural fit for my my abilities. In other words, I don't I don't have to work really hard to to um, to be in that environment. So um, so it was for me a natural progression that as i figured out i could write software as i figured out that uh, you know in in the workplace i had to interact interact with people and interact with you know um you know customers on a commercial basis and on a problem solving basis uh and and the fact i could write software you know th those things converge to to bringing me into building software solutions for for business customers, which is really the essence of, of my journey. And, and that, that ultimately led me into forming Hornbill, which is a company I've been running uh, for the last 25 years. Excellent, excellent. And the transition from techie, because obviously you're a techie and you still are a techie by the sounds of things, um, to tech leader. I, I guess what I'm hearing is, is that it was quite a gradual kind of migration uh, to becoming that leader as opposed to it was a switch. I think a lot of people I work with probably consider I consider me a leader uh, you know I have I have some leadership qualities I've, I've certainly um, I've got the, um, the the belligerence to be a leader I think you know you, you've <laughs> got to be pretty committed haven't you you've got to you've yeah. got to go go for a direction and, and, and stick to that um, so um, I, I think the, the transition probably was quite gradual when I when I first started Hornbill it was it was a very um, simple um, and and I guess naive uh, view of the world is build some software, sell it lots of times, get rich kind of thing. You know, mm -hmm. in in very broad terms. But but you know, in in reality, what I what I found over time is is technology is, and and certainly leadership in technology is much more about people and solving problems for people. Where, you know, so you know people that that are working on the projects that you're working on, uh, and as well as the people that you're building the software for, and that really is more fundamental. To, to the business of, of, of software, as far, as far as I can see. Um, and in the end, technology is my tool. 
it's mm. the device it's the it's the it's the tool bag i yield that helps me you know solve those problems for people love it excellent so coming to your company hornbill then um what's the problem that you're solving in the market well, I, th I think I think to be fair, that's evolved over time. Um, the the original basis of, um, for founding Hornbill was was the idea that at the time I needed a service desk tool or or what we would call a help desk tool back in the nineties mm. um, to help me and my team. And we had some particularly technical uh, you know te technical difficulties that we had to deal with um, that, that that meant I needed a help desk that would work in multiple sites, which had very poor networking basically was the problem and uh, and there was nothing that would do that in, in in those days there was no there was client server applications but they all required a LAN and etc cetera, etc cetera. so I'd, I'd built a product just a tool to help me do that um, and and that that formed the basis of of the problem so it started out with very simple ticket management you know keeping a track of a work of a work list a list of things that needed to be done which was a little bit more sophisticated than an inbox and yes. an email system um, over the years, of course, that's evolved uh, dramatically into workflow automation, workflow management, and and of course digital transformation, uh, which, which you know over the past seven eight years or so, yeah, there's been a massive uptake in that direction, yeah. uh, as as businesses need to automate um, and and make highly repeatable, high quality processes for both their employees and their customers. So that's that's really what we do today, and, and that's the pro business problem we solve. So Jerry, what's the kind of target customer for your products? Well, I think I think it's quite broad and varied, but it largely fits into um, the the B two B category, uh, and then it's everything from police forces, local councils, um, central central government organisations, private sector companies like banks, insurance companies. So really, really across the board. F fundamentally, it's if you're an organisation with say more than I'm going to say a thousand employees upwards. Uh, and you've got an IT team or, or or an operations team of more than about ten people, then then Hornbill is is a solution that can help you save money. Yeah, yeah that's that's excellent. And I, I imagine the return on investment of using your tools to to kind of implementing your tool um, is is quite large. It, it can be very large. Sometimes it can be difficult to quantify it because the reason why a tool is is bought is obviously not is often. I apologise. Not not. The, the reason people end up sticking with the tool. Now, that's a, a weird thing to say, but in reality, what happens is most people go to the market looking for something like a service desk tool or a, a help desk tool, or, you know, they want to do IT. It tends to be IT driven or, or often can be IT, IT driven. Yeah. Um, but what happens in reality is, um, for, for the, I, I'm going to say well over 80% of our customers is within, within a few months of realizing what they're actually now using and what they now understand uh, those business services uh, extend beyond the walls of it and beyond the operational uh, process needs of the it team uh, and that and that's really where where real value is delivered because in the end automation you know gives you a number of things it it allows you to define processes in a system so they get executed and fulfilled in, in a consistent and reliable way um, it, it kind of removes the 
the dependency on the individual knowledge. So if someone's on holiday, if they're on maternity leave or whatever, you're not suddenly run into a brick wall where you can't do an onboarding process anymore because, yes. you know, so, so, so it, it does those things. And of course, it, it, in a way, it democratizes the complexities of those, of operating those processes. Um, and, and the more you, the more you automate and define those uh, processes, then, then the more value you get from the system. And the other end of that is it's, our, our solution specifically is a codeless environment because we aim at the non-technical, more business user end of the of the administration side of our solution. So yes. we, in, in our ideal world, it's not a technical IT person that builds a business process. It can be a business user. Oh, wow. And if they can draw their process, if they can visualize it in a flow chart, in essence, they can automate that in, in, um, in our tool and, yes. and, and deploy those processes. So. That's brilliant. I love the idea of I love the idea of democratization of, of lots of things, you know, because it allows more people to kind of jump in and that kind of creative space that sometimes isn't isn't being tapped. It allows it set, itself to kind of spill into this kind of solving problems, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly it. I, I, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the technology and the technological yeah. solutions to these problems. And, and there's really good reasons to look, for looking at technology. So I think with my CTO hat on, I'm always looking at, you know, efficiency reliability quality scalability cost effectiveness there's a whole bunch of business drivers that, that mean those things are incredibly important but they don't mean anything unless you're actually solving a problem with them yeah. you can you can do that all day long but until until a customer comes to you and says you know what we've just saved ourselves hundred thousand pounds here because we've done xyz you know that that's that's when it's really meaningful and and i think that's what we certainly what i strive to to do in terms of you know what we're creating so that's great, Jerry. Have you got any kind of examples where, you know, you saw a company solve a problem using your tool and you thought, sat back and thought, wow, that is amazing? Yeah, I, I th I've got a ton of stories, and so, but I'll, I'll, I'll pick one or two out that, that I think are, are great examples. Um, we, we had one customer that was using our tool fairly traditionally in IT, and they, and they looked at it and thought, you know, we could possibly roll this out to our business users you know, our end users beyond the walls of IT. So automating HR processes and business business services generally. This this company happened to be a, a, a local council. Um, and um, they they took Hornbill, um, the solution, they sort of took a, a bunch, a small team, I think, I think of about seven or eight people, I want to say, uh, who were who were sort of uh, described to me as fairly junior business administration type people. And they tasked them with automating 400 odd um, different business processes around the organization. This is everything from reporting graffiti out in the street, you know, and then what happens, you know, so there's some graffiti on a wall, a counselor reports that it goes into the system. There's a workflow that says, okay, we need to notify these people. We need to do this. We need to prioritize, put into someone's work list, that kind of thing. So that example through to an employee needing, you know, a copy of their P60 or something, mm. uh, raising a complaint or, you know, a whole myriad of, of different things. And, uh, they, they, they done that, um, uh, over, over a, a period of a, of a year or so, uh, and automated a lot of those processes, saved themselves an absolute fortune in terms of uh, people overhead. They they didn't have to recruit as anywhere near as much as they were they were doing. They were removing um, workflows out of email boxes into an actual automated system and and sort mm -hmm. of simplifying everything down. So it's a simple example of, of of where you know customers can get real value. Yeah, brilliant. I, I hear all kinds of things in there. It's de-risking the organization. 
it's kind of creating resiliency. Also, there's an aspect of uh, this automation which creates an audit trail, you know, because it's just there, you know. Correct. Uh, exactly right. And the automation um, is it goes way beyond the soft automation of the the people tasks. So we the way we the way I sort of think about the problems we're trying to solve is I categorize it into two forms of tasks that we automate. So you you know if you think of a workflow and then you've got what we called human tasks, what I would call human tasks, a very simple idea that I would um, I would have a process that at one point in that process would require you to do something, let's say an approval. So it'll send you a human task that goes to your, your list of work that you need to do and you'll get to it and you'll get notified and so on, you'll do it. And you're at, the outcome of that will drive the workflow in, in whichever direction is appropriate. So if you re approve or reject it in a very simple term, it'll go off in one direction or another. The other side of that automation then is the machine task or the automation. And that can be anything from system functions itself, you know, like update a customer record to say this has happened, to uh, deploy some software to a computer, to, um, you know, uh, create a new server running in Amazon EC2. To, it could be any of, any of those IT automations of which we have many thousands of pre-canned out of the box, ready to use by non-technical people integrations into all manner of systems. Um, which which allows you to look at your business and go, okay, well, I want to take a, you know, uh, this would be a simple example. You might think as a business user, you know, when that complaint comes in off the website, I want to trigger a workflow, which is going to make a note against the customer record. So, we, so we've got a, it's going to create a complaint form document in Dropbox, in Word, then it's going to put it into Dropbox. Uh, then it's going to send a link to the customer and ask them to, to complete that. Mm. Um, and then when the customer um, submits that uh, document back to us, it's going to do this and then it's going to send it to you and you'll get to review it and, you know, and so on and so forth. So mm. these are the kind of automations that, um, that, that you know, really deliver um, what organizations need, which is that tying human activities and automated activities in one seamless flow of stuff yeah. that has to happen on a case-by-case -case basis and it's it, like, yeah yeah sorry and it's not untypical that our customers um we're not talking about one or 10 or 20 workflows we're talking about many hundreds and often often cases even many thousands of individual workflows fulfillment workflows that are being built over time to do these things beautiful i love it it's almost like a, an elegant augmentation of people and processes you know this is yeah yeah we would call it orchestration this is exactly and that's the best way to think about it. it's an orchestration of stuff that needs to happen yes that, that, that adds business value and of course the great thing about that is it can be changed it can be reviewed as you rightly said it can be audited which means that the the business process owner can sit back and say how does this business process work could it be more efficient do we need to extend it change it improve it so what I love about this, Jerry's, is that, um, you know, once you've got the systems in place, but there's also a learning kind of feedback loop that needs to happen here. How can you improve it? What can be eliminated? Um, and from a product perspective, yourself and your kind of team, how do you kind of uh, feedback uh, requirements into improving your tool to help it make it easier? Yeah, so, so I think, uh, you know, I, we adopted a model of continuous delivery. So, so as a pure, as a simple CTO um, uh, strategy, you know, so, so something that any any good CTO would would, would probably want to um, develop, and particularly around SaaS software, is we we removed the need for um, any kind of customer upgrades or um, none, none of that happens. There's no concept of we release version four today and then version five next week, and there's no migrations or anything. It's a continuous delivery process. So if you use 
if you use Facebook, for example, and I said to you, okay, you know, what version of Facebook you're on, you're going to go, well, I don't know. Who cares, right? Yeah. No one cares about that. So, so Hornbill is Hornbill. Service Manager is an application that runs on our platform. It's Service Manager. It is what it is. Now, it's got a build number associated with it because obviously there's some mechanics behind the scenes that make all this work. Um, so that's the first thing is we get continuous delivery, which means we can continuously improve um, the product. Um, the, sec the second thing is we have a, a very functional community because because we don't know actually we you know we don't know what customers do really, and we certainly don't have the expertise every company does things differently that's what makes them unique uh, and every need is valid and so the challenge from a from a technology perspective or from a product perspective is to is to be smart enough to listen to those challenges so when, when it comes to product i think we have to look at what customers are doing and really question what what we're being asked for to under to properly understand is that really required does it yeah. make sense you know what where are they coming from because every request is valid that's the first thing you start there every customer's need is valid mm -hmm. uh, and so if they've got a day job uh, and they do their day job if there's a tool they're using um they don't want it changed they just want it bigger better faster that's a general mm -hmm. principle and that's absolutely right as it should be so i think you've always got to look at products in in that light and look at what customers are asking you and 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 how do you how do you formulate that into something that's coherent that, that actually you could tell a really coherent story around afterwards rather than just pitching up with your screen full of 100 buttons which yes. is where you can very quickly end up if you if you don't manage that so so yeah. i think in answer to your question which would be a really long way of, of 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 saying that is we we try and immerse ourselves in understanding what customers need and then and then try and take that one step further and 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 interpret that into something as mm -hmm. to what they really need Yes, and and yeah. and try and and try and align that with our strategic roadmap, and, and you know keep keep the horizon levels a little bit higher than the the thing that's going to stop that customer shouting today. That's right. It's almost holding the vision for the for the uh, the end customer or the end client, um, yeah. but using their their information as a kind of way of forming that vision kind of thing. Yeah, I, I imagine that's quite an art. And uh, and um, and okay, so. Is that, has that been something that you've, you've kind of developed uh, from the word go? And was that quite hard to hard to kind of create that mechanism where you were learning? Uh, I, I think I probably still am, to be honest with you. But but yes, I, I would say, you know, Hornbill's been through two interesting phases. We, we developed an on-premise software solution that took us up to a period of time. Actually, it was up to 2015 as, part of us, as far as our strategic roadmap is concerned. And I, I promise you, there was a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons to learn. And they were painful and it was difficult. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you learn that actually, you know, the decisions you make around product design and product strategy do have a very big bearing on your long-term future of your company and this is you know because because customers customers are extraordinarily loyal until they're not mm. and and you know and i don't mean that in a negative way in terms of customers customers will rightly move on when there's something better they should because you know they've got their job to do um so uh, but the second phase of that was trying to take that learning um and and do something about it and uh, you know so things like continuous delivery moving away from the notion of upgrades never having to force an upgrade to a customer to do an upgrade again in any guise or any form apart from you know uh, breaking uh, you know small breaking changes that they can assimilate as, as you go um that you know that those um that those are the kind of drivers that that, that that formulated that that thinking 
but but I'd say we're still learning, um, and and the te technology landscape is ever moving. Uh, mm. I think what I would say today is we're a lot better placed to on the average understand our customers and their needs better and i think we're probably in much better place today to be uh more more in a leadership position as far of as presenting a vision and a strategy and a direction and from your um, leadership perspective how do you roll as a leader what's your kind of style oh yeah that's a good question as well so back to this sort of leadership i do sort of have the tenacity to to push the company in a direction and and i think i think that's probably the thing i I, I would hope I bring to the table. Um, I, I guess I guess it could be interpreted by some as arrogance or you know or, or bloody mindedness because I've, <laughs> I've I've got to go in one direction. I I think about it like that, but but I, th I think on balance, if even if I was you know to be as objective as I can, I think people overall would probably pro I would hope would probably say that. Um, and and yeah, so so I think I think um, from a leadership point of view. You know, am I am I a good leader? I I don't know. Uh, I can say this. I can say that there's a you know there's there's a lot of people at Hornbill that have been here almost 20 years, um, and we've we've been through a lot together. You know, as a team of people, um, yeah. not all of it has been pleasant, uh, and they're still here, and wow. they're still motivated, and they're still driving forwards, and we're we're still collectively on a mission, um, and and it's not just a handful of people. I'm talking about. I, I, I'm plucking figures out of the air, out of the air here, but I'm going to say uh, well over fifty percent of the company has been there more than ten years, and possibly well over seventy percent or eight, but no, well over eighty percent or even eighty-five percent have been there over five years. Right. You know, and in the technology business, that's a you know it's a difficult thing uh, to achieve. Uh, yeah. So, so does that make me a good leader? I'm not sure. It might make me a soft touch, maybe. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, don't yeah. know. So I, I think I'd have to ask other people to find that out. Yeah, <laughs> and, and thank you for your honesty around you know your kind of style of leadership and and stuff. Obviously, it's worked. Um, is there, is there any kind of learning reflecting back that in in service of the audience as well um, that you may have done differently or it was the right thing to do? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's always things I'm I'm a very self-critical person, um, I, but I'm I try to be objective. So so I think uh, there, there's so many things that I could have looked back and thought, you know, if I'd done this differently, you know, perhaps that would have been better or done this differently. But it's really hard to pick things out and, and say, well, you know, in the general scheme of things, this thing would have made a, a, a big difference. Uh, you know, back on the leadership style thing, one, one of the things I, I do and I think works really well if you can do it is I try to, in my mind, I try to employ adults. And what I mean by that is if, if, if I have someone reporting to me, one of the first conversations I'll have with someone is I'm not going to be there every day to put my arm around you and, you know, comfort you when your dog, you know, had a, had a problem or something. Uh, how and, and I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to give you a list of tasks every week and then check up on you. I'm going to expect you to fulfill your job and that and I that, that's the basis on which I have people reporting to me because I couldn't I couldn't consume my time I, I'm not built that way to consume my time doing management tasks mm. um, and so so but and I think uh, and that that naturally leads to a sort of a flattish management structure um, and autonomy in in amongst the team uh, not everyone's comfortable with that and uh, people adapt some don't uh you know it works for many and, and i think overall I, I would hope that's worked well for for people Brilliant. um so yeah so so i think that that's what i would say is try and empower people uh, that's another way of you know 
take them on don't micromanage them give them give them responsibility give them the freedom to to be responsible and to actually affect change where where change is needed brilliant love it and um that's great and and i love that kind of leadership it's worked well for me in the past as well and hopefully people that know me see that that in my in myself as well um as we kind of come towards the closing arc of the podcast um i'd love to kind of get your take on any books i, I love books okay as you as uh, audience can't see but i've got books everywhere all around me are there any books that you recommend for tech leaders or leaders in general out there that you you know that's that's a great question i mean I, i've been through the cycle in my in my my entrepreneurial career where, where i've read the usual business success you know out of silicon valley type books there's a ton of them you know crossing the chasm and all all those kind of ones they're all very inspiring uh books or if you read something like uh, you know steve Jobs's uh biography you know all the usual stuff that you'll find um but I, i'll be honest with you I, I i kind of reached a point where i thought this is what I, I these books invariably are story based books you know they're inspirational and i'd reached a point where i thought you know these stories are all great but they're all they're individual to those people and yeah. they don't they don't really translate perfectly and and so while i can draw some inspiration um and and you know and obviously some some respect for the for the authors of these things and you know you know that I kind of ran, I ran into a point where I thought I'm reading these books. They all feel the same to me and it's not, it doesn't do anything more for me as far as I can see. And that's not to say that I know everything, not at all. It's just, I, I I kind of, I ran out of the energy to read them kind of thing. I I think I'll say, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to be unusually unintelligent and say, I'm not even sure I could recommend a particularly good book because (laughs) I've probably read one in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years probably yeah i'd have to go i'd have to go into the other room and look in my bookshelf and say yeah this one's good but you know yeah, I, I think yeah. the, my, my overall message would be you know you can no, nobody's going to give you the the the, the blue pill that's yes. not going to happen that's absolutely not going to happen what you really need to do is look at your own your own circumstances and your own set of problems and be smart enough to go okay i want to do it this way or I think it's important to do it that way. And you've got to go with that. It's got to be your responsibility. You know, it'd be awful to go, you know, well, it, it worked for Steve Jobs. Why? You know, it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. It's not really. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's not yeah. going to happen. You know? I love that. Uh, yeah, taking responsibility for it. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good perspective, uh, Jerry, because, you know, um, I think sometimes, you, sometimes we're inspired enough. I, I remember a coach uh, telling me once, um, you know enough. You don't need to know more. Just go and do it, you know, and yeah. then learn. You know, it's, it's that the fire is already lit. You just need to kind of bellow it now, you know. Uh, exactly. And um, and I'm going to offer you a wish, a tech leader's wish mm-hmm. uh, for your tech uh, leadership, for your industry, for your company. What wish would you, uh, what wish could I grant you? Um, I, th- I think in today's development environment, um, I, I, I wish developers were more, in tune on balance with customers needs i, th- I think um and i and i don't mean to say that I, I don't want developers to be developers because the technical skills required today in 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 the low levels of a browser and you know back-end development stuff is astonishingly difficult um and more difficult than it really ought to be but but you but as a developer you have to be able to step away from that and you have there's got to be a reason for you battling you know the 
the plight of IE 11 or something all the time or whatever it is you have to do to, to get your day job done. And that reason's got to be beyond, oh, I enjoy it or I enjoy the coding. You know, we're building this stuff for a reason. You know, one of, one of the developers I've worked with for quite a number of years uh, is absolutely always inspired by the fact that the stuff that he develops and writes is is used by customers. And when we get that feedback, when he can see it being used, that's it's the thing that's really inspiring. I think that's true for, for a lot of developers. But one way to truly make that happen, to truly uh, get those customers to tell those stories about the thing that you've created is, is to understand what it is they want to tell stories about and then create the thing that will help them tell those stories. And and there, there is, in my mind, um, there's, there's always more of a disconnect between the development community generally in a team um, and, and the end user community. Yeah. And that, that I, f I think is the thing I would wish that was more naturally not true. Yeah, I think. that's a big topic. And uh, yeah, and I'll, do, I'll see what I can do on that wish for you, okay? <laughs> well, for, you're very kind. <laughs> if you figure that out, I'll come and work for you. <laughs> Brilliant. And 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 as we come towards the end now, the full stop of the podcast, what is the one key takeaway that you'd like to offer the tech leader men and women out there? I, I think I think be unique and, and do something that customers will value. I think that's that's it. Just just don't there's no there's no crowd to follow here. Technology is such an evolving thing. The the opportunities, you know, so some amazing things in technology have happened and continue to happen every almost every every single day. Um, and you, you know, you don't have to be the creator of the next battery technology or the next time machine or whatever it is. But embrace technology to actually help people, because in the end, that's that's what we're trying to do here. The you yeah. know the, the the sort of betterment of of business, which which indirectly you know of course you you can look at that and say well you know that drives profits and you know it makes people at the top richer and all that sort of stuff. But actually you know if 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 businesses are more efficient and and, and better at what they do, and and businesses can. Um, allow people to, to do more valuable work instead of mundane work, then, you know, that's better for society, better for people, I think, because, mm -hmm. it, because it lifts, it brings everyone, lifts everyone up. It's the sort of, you know, the, 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 um, the whole capitalist argument, I suppose, in a way, but, um, you know, tech, technology is not, you can enjoy the technology, you can enjoy working with it. You don't have to be the, the inventor of the next big thing, but you can certainly take the big things that have been invented and, and deploy them in ways that we're not, yeah thought about and, and i think that's for me would be takeaways focus on your customers focus on what their needs are and find a way of um, of helping them achieve that and in the end you'll all the other stuff will come you know you'll you'll get the wealth you'll get the money you'll get the the acclaim to fame and and you'll get the the respect from your customers and so on yeah so that, i think that would be my my um my advice be yourself and and try and try and help your customers if you boil it down it's as simple as that probably excellent. You know, be unique and help your customers excellent that's a great note to finish on thank you for thank you for your time jerry it's been great speaking to you sir yeah likewise thank you for your time thanks for having me on the podcast